In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about how to respond to customer suggestions. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 436. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's where this week, Rob? Things are going good. We're in the midst of, of interviewing and, and talking with uh, founders who have applied to be part of Tiny Seed. As I mentioned before, there's quite a few applicants to go through and having a lot of conversations. And, you know, we're, we're coming up on our kind of our mental deadline of, of when we want to get everybody on board. And so we have started making offers to, to founders as, as things come together and as it becomes obvious that, that we're a mutual fit for each other. Because that's the thing. It's not just, it's not just do they have the, the chops or do they have the, the traction, you know, to get in. But it's like, are we going to be able to help them? Like, are they a fit for us? And, and I think that I'm trying to do as much evaluation of them as I'm trying to do of, of us, you know, in that we've had some folks apply who have traction, but it's like, I just don't know that we can help you. You know, it's, it's businesses that are perhaps outside of our expertise, outside of our mentor's expertise. So all that said, we do, we have had five companies accept offers, which feels really good just to kind of start making that, you know, making our way towards that. And MicroConf's coming up here real soon. It's about a week and a half away from when we're recording. So, and then I'm actually out in London the, the following week with the family. So there's, there, it just feels like there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, for sure. So it's, it's interesting that kind of you are evaluating whether or not you can help them, not just whether or not they have traction. Because it's, it's interesting seeing like some of the questions, for example, that come in to people asking about whether microconf is a good fit for them as well. And there are certain people where I'm just like, you know, you're evaluating, like, for example, this edition at the conference is like, yeah, you really shouldn't be going there because it's not applicable to you or you're not going to get the benefit out of it that you're looking for. And I kind of talk some of them out of it or talk them into the right direction. Some people, it's just not a, a good fit for. Same thing with sponsorships as well. Like some people will say, oh, I'm interested in sponsoring and I have to talk them out of it because it's like, it's not going to do them any good. And I really don't think that it's good for us to accept sponsors where it's not a good fit for the audience either. Exactly. It's a long, are, are you in this for the long term or are you in it for a quick buck, so to speak? You know, and you can accept, we could accept people into Tiny Seed that have, oh, you have tens of thousands of dollars of MRR, but you're, we're not going to be able to help you that much. And in the short term, that would, might be the right choice. But in the long term, they're not going to get out of it what they deserve and what they, what they should get out of it. And so you just you ding your reputation. Same thing with sponsors, right? You could sell a $5,000, $10,000 sponsorship. But if they don't like it and they don't get the value out of it, then you've caused yourself a problem to your reputation. Same thing running an, an, a SaaS app, man. It's like their customers will come to you. And they could be your biggest customer. And it could be, you know, in the early days, it's like a $500 a month deal is, is game changing for you when you're doing a couple grand a month. But if in the short term, that might be the right fit. But in the long term, if it's not, it's a real problem. And so I think that's, that's the thing, right? Like you and I have played long ball on so many fronts, not only with the, the podcast doing 436 episodes, but with MicroConf talking attendees or talking sponsors out of it, with our apps, with, you know, Micropreneur Academy, with Founder Cafe. I mean, we have turned away a lot of people and I actually think it's a good policy to have. Now, it means that the growth at all cost mindset, we're not growing at all cost because we're not going to do it at the cost of our long-term relationships. But I think that if you're in this for decades, 
that it's the right call to be smart about this and to to evaluate from, you know, kind of from both sides of the aisle, so to speak. I couldn't agree with you more. How about you? What's going on? Well, uh, I have a upcoming webinar that I wanted to actually share with the audience. So remember, there was probably three or four weeks ago, I had mentioned that there were some publications and stuff that I was going to be hopefully getting into, but I wanted to hold off on that. And one of them that I wanted to kind of share with listeners is on April 29th at one o'clock, I'm going to be doing a webinar called Personal Email Strategies to Drive Traffic, Engage Leads, Close Deals, and More. And that is going to be through hr.com. So I'll link that up in the show notes, but uh, worked with them to put that on the calendar for them. And it's, uh, I'd say it's kind of a big win for just because of the size of their audience, but also like, you know, working with anybody who's got like a two-letter domain name. I mean, that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Yeah. And it's a slick URL that you're, uh, you know, you're doing your webinar at. It's web.hr.com slash U9VO. <laughs> yeah. That, that's just a <laughs> short code, I'm sure. But, yeah. <laughs> you know. We'll link it up in the show notes if you want to do it. Yeah, you, I don't exactly expect people to remember. Well, maybe we should. People have to remember that. If you say U9VO, I'll give you something special. I don't know. <laughs> Various there conversations. So I mentioned that me and the family are going. It's for spring. It's for my kids' spring break, I believe, that we are headed to London for about a week after microconf. And Sherry and I were thinking about putting together just an informal London bootstrappers meetup, probably two hours on, a, on an evening. If you're in London or will be in London between April 1st and the 6th, head to robwalling.com slash London. And I have just a simple three-question Google form there that's like, what nights can't you make it? What's your name if you have one? What's your email address? So that'll be fun. We'll put it together if it makes sense. And if only one person responds, then maybe we, <laughs> maybe we won't, won't go to the effort of it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been to London at least once trying to think if I've been twice, but uh, our kids really wanted to go because just of all the stuff these days, you know, they they read about Sherlock Holmes, they are fans of Harry Potter, they're even like Shakespeare, they have the familiarity, one of them was in a play with that. So I, I, there's just so much cool stuff there. And we really haven't taken the kids there, we've taken them to a lot of European cities, but it feels like a good time to get out and go. Cool. I almost went to London about uh, probably five or six months ago. It was about five, four or five months ago, I think. Almost went there, and then I realized I was in the wrong line, and I would have gone out of the country, uh, out of the uh, airport, and into London itself instead of getting on my connecting flight. Nice. Well, that would have been fun if you missed your flight and then hung out in London and saw the Eye and the Shakespeare Theater and all that. Yep, I'm sure that you know <laughs> my my connecting flight would have been thrilled with that. <laughs> it would have been a blast. Yeah. Cool. So, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about how to respond to customer suggestions. And I, I say suggestions because it also, I think, incorporates feature requests as well. And this can kind of broadly apply across different types of businesses, whether you have a SaaS app or a downloadable app or productized service or something like that. And we've talked about how to solicit feedback from your customers back in episode 119, but it's been a while since we had like a dedicated podcast episode about this. So we'll link up episode 119 in the show notes. But the idea for this episode comes from a tweet stream that Ken Wallace had put out. And Ken Wallace runs Mastermind Jam, which you can find over at mastermindjam.com. And I'm going to summarize a lot of what he said because he had, he had a stream of 18 tweets. So I'm going to summarize that a little bit and condense it. And his basic thought process was questioning how to respond to customer suggestions. And he said that for his business, customers tend to be entrepreneurs and transparency is kind of big. So it tends to lead naturally into let's dig into that. So for Context Mastermind Jam is a service that connects 
entrepreneurs with other entrepreneurs who are in similar types of businesses and lets them find other people who they wouldn't otherwise normally find in order to form a mastermind group. So his question kind of starts out where he's offered a suggestion by a customer and he starts explaining why he does it in a particular way, what he's tried in the past and what he intends to do in the future. And this approach worries him because there are times when he persuades the customer to agree with him. And that's where he thinks like there's a missed opportunity because he essentially talked a customer out of a particular way of doing something when they came to him with a suggestion. And he understands that there's a lot of reasons why the customer might concede that point. So they might be tired of debating the topic with him or they may believe that Ken is so entrenched in whatever the particular suggestion is that, you know, the person thinks, oh, I'm not going to convince him to change, so I'm just not going to bother, or they don't have the time and they just think, oh, this isn't worth arguing over. And his fundamental problem kind of boils down to how do you know why it is that they agreed with you? Right, because they may also agree because they actually agree and because he truly convinced them that it's a better way, right? That's another option. Right. But the the lack of clarity there is kind of what concerns him, because if people fall into any of those previous camps where they didn't necessarily actually agree with you, but they just say agree to kind of either move on the conversation or to end it because they've got other things to do, then how does he know that? And kind of what are some recommended approaches to responding to that type of information? So what Ken wants to know is when a customer gives you feedback or a suggestion like this, what should happen next in the conversation? Should your What should your response be and how should the conversation go from there? And his belief is that if you just say something like, thanks for the suggestion, I'll take that into consideration, you know, where can I follow up with you? It, it seems very patronizing. And I think you had chimed in and you talked about kind of drilling into the five whys a little bit, but I wanted to back up a little bit and, and take like a much broader approach to this. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he, he basically said, should I drive into the five whys? The thing is, dude, I actually started writing a response and it was more of a full, full blown out, like how I would handle it. And Twitter, I hate Twitter because it's 280 characters. And I eventually just stopped and gave in and said, I'm not going to do that because we are going to talk about this for 30 to 40 minutes today. And I bet we will cover it well, but not even cover everything. And so to try to respond in a series of 10, 20, 30 tweets, whatever, to truly summarize the nuance of this question, I felt like wasn't going to do it. So I just boiled it down to, yes, ask more questions, thank them. I tended to not commit to anything on, a, on the phone, but you know, we'll, we'll dig into to more of that because you, know, you have a whole approach outlined here, like a six-step six process uh, that I think is pretty worthwhile. So let's start going through these six steps. And I think the first thing to do here is, is to mentally prioritize their suggestion and feedback and kind of categorize and say, does it sound like A, a problem they need a solution to, B, an additional nice to have but not critical, or C, this is a better way to do it. So essentially an optimization of some kind. And really what you're looking for is trying to figure out, is this something that is part of the experience or is it a new feature that they're asking for? Like, are they are they trying to improve something that already exists or could exist in a different way or a better way versus are they asking for something that's kind of fundamentally new? And you kind of have to drill into that to figure that out. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think at a certain point, you know, it can become kind of a kind of a gut feel. If you've talked to 50 customers, 100 customers, you do start to see repeating questions, repeating suggestions, repeating information. And, you know, there's a way to bucket them in your head of like, yep, no, we know that. And it's, you know, we'll prioritize it. Or 
yep, we've thought of that. And I guess <laughs> I, w- I would often say, here's why we're not going to do that. But I guess that comes back to Ken's point of like, is that the wrong thing to do? I think in my head, it's like, if you're always trying to talk suggestions, uh, customers out of suggestions, I think that's a problem. But I do think that there are going to be quite a few suggestions that come up that you're not going to build and are not a good idea to build. And those are the ones where it's not as much a debate, but it's a this is my vision for the product, or I'm not going to copy competitor features. That doesn't make sense. Or you're going to have some good reasons that people who are not working day to day in your in your app or in your business, they're not going to have because they're not thinking about it all the time. And so anyways, yeah, I've, I've kind of skipped ahead in, in the thing, but I think that, that for this first step, taking in the suggestion and trying to mentally bucket it early on, I think can be helpful, especially if you're on the cuff. You know, if you're doing five, 10 calls a week, you're having a lot of these conversations. It does help you to, to kind of gain some clarity as to how you talk about these things. Right. And I said that you should mentally prioritize, but I really meant categorize or bucket like you had said. So just to clarify that particular piece of it. But the second piece of this is to start asking them questions to make sure that you understand their context and their point of view. So they're going to have different experiences based on their own life and their own business versus the things that you do and see because you have a, a viewpoint from inside the business, whereas theirs comes from outside of it. And you also have to differentiate between the type of person they are and where they are kind of in your sales funnel. Like, so if you, if they're a prospect, is it a feature request? And if it sounds something along those lines, you can ask them, is that something you need? And when you're very early on in your business, what you'll find is people will ask questions and they don't necessarily care about whether or not you have a particular feature or not, but they just want to know. They're curious as to whether or not that functionality or that piece of it exists. And a lot of times what you'll find is by asking that question, is that something you need? They'll just say, no, I was just curious. And I've found cases where I've asked that question and it was for something that I knew was probably going to take three to six months to put together. And they're like, no, I was just curious. But had I gone down the rabbit hole and said, yes, we can do that and started trying to implement it, I kind of suddenly push everything back by three to six months. So you have to be very, very careful about whether or not it's something that they absolutely need versus is it a nice to have. And one of the ways that I like to phrase this is to say something along the lines of, tell me more about that. And as a follow-up to that, you can say, what makes you say that when they give you a suggestion or they say that you should do it in this particular way? You know, oh, really? What What is it that makes you say that? And it allows you to take that conversation and make it much more interactive. Yeah, I love this idea of asking questions to dig in further to make sure you understand their context and their point of view. Because as you've said, digging into their context can show you that they were just curious. Digging into their context might show you that they are not a fit for you, right? That they should not, to our point earlier, they are not a good fit for your your company, your conference, your, your SaaS app, your service, whatever. I think having disqualifying questions that could even come before this is a huge is a huge win in determining if someone is is ultimately a fit as well as determining if someone is the perfect fit and that they might be suggesting something that you've never thought of before that's always a kind of a cool cool realization when you know that someone should get a ton of value out of what you're offering and it's it's almost like an epiphany so that's why i said five whys when i responded to the tweet because to me it's not technically asking why 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 but it is asking a bunch of questions to be like, what are you trying to accomplish with that? What are you, what does that mean? Where are you coming from with this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, just to try to dig in 
to really understand their true needs. And sometimes you'll find out it's like, well, you know, I know that my current tool, you know, I know that MailChimp does that. And so I was just thinking if I ever wanted to use it, that, you you know, do you have it as well? Like I, we got stuff like that back in the day with Drip and it's like, cool. So you have context of a competitor. You don't use the feature today. Is it a deal breaker? Well, no, it's not. Okay, but you would like it in the future. Yes, it's on our roadmap. You know, I mean, you, it's just digging into these things and not taking them at face value, I think is pretty, pretty important. And a lot of that just gives you context for the future or data points that you can say, oh, I heard this from one customer or I heard this from five or 10 or 50. And once you start hearing things over and over, it goes back to if you ask the question to begin with. If you didn't ask, then it's very easy to not get that information. So you have to start drilling in as part of the second step to ask questions and make sure that you understand where they're coming from, why they're asking those questions and how they feel about it. How would they prioritize their particular suggestion? Because if it's critical to them, then you you have to take it more seriously and give it a little bit more thought versus something where they're just like, oh, you should say, you should have this phrasing instead of that phrasing. Or I don't understand why this is on this particular menu in your app versus this other menu. Those are the types of things which a lot of times they can go either way, but then there are certain things where they really have to be done in a particular way and you know the best way to do it because you've had that context and thought about it and they really haven't. Yeah, I think the third the third step to this approach is to compare their context to yours. Like coming back to what I said earlier, is this something that that they saw a competitor doing? And is that a road you want to go down, you know, with this particular competitor or this particular feature? Do they have personal experience with that competitor or with this feature? You know, what's their frustration level with the fact that this doesn't exist? Low, medium, high, or are they angry and belligerent? Have they considered the implications of what they're asking? Like, do they have any idea about the amount of work involved? Do they know it's going to take three to six months versus one to two weeks? They probably don't. Any idea about the time frame? Is this something only they would use? They're probably not going to know that, but you should have a gut feel. This was always something that when we would get uh, feature requests with Drip, I would try to get in the mental you know, mindset of all of our customers. Hard to do, can't do it 100%, but I would frequently say things like, you know, I think if we build this, about 10% of our users will use it but they're going to get a ton of value out of it and they'll stick around forever. Or I think about half our users will use this, or I think like 2% will use it, but it's the most, the power users or whatever. And we tra- and again, those are, those are guesses, but that's part of like being an entrepreneur is making decisions with limited information, right? You don't have all the, you don't have all the, the information in a, in a roadmap sense that you can just walk to the, from here to X marks the spot of, of victory and profit. And so Making decisions with incomplete information is a huge part of it and developing that, quote unquote, I'll call it gut feel, but really what it is, is it's years of experience working with your customer base and on your product and in your space that can help give you that context for it. And then I think, you know, the last thing uh, to think about when you're comparing context is, have you previously considered this suggestion or is it on your roadmap already? Yeah, and I think that that last piece makes a big difference if your response is kind of off the cuff and just says, oh, we have thought about this before and this is how we're going to do it versus something that you've put it on your roadmap already because you've heard it a lot or you've put it into a document based on things that you've heard from people who've asked about that particular thing enough that it warranted having a, I don't want to call it a stock response, but a 
an answer that you can share with your team as to this is why we are, are or are not going to be going in this particular direction. Because that lends itself to you have considered the implications of that. And a lot of times what you'll find is that the customers don't necessarily consider all the implications. And part of that is just because they don't see all the same things that you do. Like you've got all these priorities that you're working on, maybe things in your bug tracker or features or particular customers that are high value that you want to be able to serve better or a particular direction you want to take the product in. And you have visibility to those and the customers or your prospects do not. Yep. And again, as you go on, if you're two, three, four years into it and you have, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand customers, steady influx of prospects, you're going to get to the point where you've heard 90 plus percent all the requests that come in. You've heard them before, maybe 95. It's crazy how much these things are just clustered. And you can put them into these buckets of absolutely not going to build that because we've evaluated it. And for what, you know, we could come up with 10 different reasons why you wouldn't build, but you just know that right now you're not going to build that. Absolutely are going to build it. And it's uh, quote unquote on your roadmap. Now, in the early days, like we were super agile with lowercase a with Drip. And so our roadmap was literally two, three weeks out. But we had a mental roadmap of where we were going to go beyond that, but it was certainly in flux. And then a third bucket is you don't know yet. It depends on how kind of how stuff unfolds with what you're currently building. And then there's this fourth bucket that was that was like the pleasant surprise of, wow, no one has ever suggested that. And that's a really good idea. The issue is, is that is so, so rare. I mean, it's probably one in a hundred, one in 200 feature requests, if that, as you, as you get to scale, at least from, you know, from my experience with the apps that I've built, it becomes less and less frequent as it, as it goes on. But if I got one of those and I was on a call, I would, I don't, that would kind of blow me away. And it'd be kind of a fun thing to dig into with that customer. Cause if you haven't heard it, you haven't thought through the context of, of, you know, how it would be used and where they got the idea and why it makes it, you know, I mean, I would really dig into that. But again, I do think that's an edge case and, you know, not something that you're going to have to deal with every day. And I don't think we specifically mentioned it, but part of the the context, comparing their context to yours is where they are in the sales funnel. Like, are they already a customer? Have they been a customer for a long time? Did they just sign up? Are they just kind of evaluating your product to see if it's a good fit? All of those things are going to make a difference when you start evaluating what your response is going to be. Now, when it gets to the response, this is step four in the approach is you're, you're essentially inserting a massive if statement and, and a matrix here that indicates how you're going to respond because it's going to depend on a comparison of how critical it is to them, how quickly it can be done, whether it aligns with what you want your product or service to do in the short term versus the long term, what the current state of your business is. So if you are very early on and you're either your pre-revenue or you've just started selling it and you have a little bit, but you're not full time on it, all of those things are going to make a impact on whether or not you're going to decide to move forward with that and implement it versus you're going to push off of it. And one of the biggest pieces of this is whether or not you believe that you have a better solution to the suggestion or feature request than they have offered. And sometimes you just have workarounds. So like sometimes you know that you can do it, but it's not going to be in a time frame that they need. So you can say, well, here's a workaround. We can do this for now. And we'll implement this in a month or three months or six months just because it's so much work in order to do that. 
And that kind of leads directly into step five, which is to make sure that your response establishes a common context for the two of you, because you want to make sure that you're on the same page. You don't want them to walk away from the conversation thinking, oh, he didn't listen to me or, you know, she didn't take my suggestion seriously. You know, you have to make sure that they understand what it is that you are doing and why. You can go into the, this is what we've tried to do in the past. This is what we're doing now. This is what we're going to do in the future. But it's extremely important that you make sure that they understand what you're going to be doing in the future and why you have come to that decision. They may not agree with you, but ultimately it's your business. You're the one who has to make that call. You can't let the customers decide every single thing that's going to happen any side of your business. Because quite frankly, if you just sat there and responded to customer requests all day and tried to implement everything that they wanted you to do, you would never have time to do anything else. I mean, there's there's lots of stuff in my business that I would love to do, and I just don't have the time to get to them. You're never going to have a to-do list that gets shorter and shorter over time. It will always get longer, and you have to pick and choose which things you do and don't implement. And sometimes you're going to have to tell a customer no, or we can't do that, and here's why, or this doesn't align with our vision, and here's why. Yeah, and I actually think that's where the concept of customer development and listening to your customers does especially early product people, it does them a disservice. Now, I haven't read every book on the in-depth machinations of customer development, but I know that the concept and, and how it's used and the definitions and all that. And it feels to me like people, whether it's used correctly or, or they misuse it, but they think that you ask your customers what they want and then you build those. And that's that's not going to work, right? I mean, there's such an issue when your customers are using some type of competitor, especially, I mean, this is the major issue is if they're using a competitor, they're pretty much just going to ask you to duplicate all of that competitor's features that they use. Like that is the non-product person's initial reaction to everything. And that tends to be a pretty bad choice and it's going to come back to, to bite you later on. I think the idea of, you know, that it's ultimately your business, I think that points to having a vision for your product that you hold on to, but are also willing to adapt, you know, and to change it. You think about wanting to build, you know, in the early days of Drip, it's like, all right, we're going to build this little add-on. Okay, now we're going to change the vision to build an ESP. Okay, now we're going to change it to add automation. This, the vision had a through line to it. We never veered off and built shopping cart software, which was requested all the time. We didn't build affiliate management, which was requested all the time. We didn't build, uh, there were other things that were just off, you know, webinar software that would integrate. I mean, it was just like, no, we're going to integrate out for those. But this through line of, of ESP add-on to ESP to marketing automation, we allowed the vision to adapt and adjust. So we didn't hold on to it so tightly that it was like, no, we're only going to be an add-on for an ESP. We would have still had some success, but would never have had the success that Drip had. But we also didn't didn't just go around building building everything everyone asked. I think that's a that's a real problem. And when you get into an app where someone has done that, you can tell there's settings everywhere. I mean, I, unfortunately, you see this in a lot of old, older, like open source projects where people have just come in and just bolted on this checkbox, that checkbox, this switch here and there because they had, you know, they had some unique use case. And frankly, if you're building a SaaS app for the long term, thinking about how not to clutter your UX, clutter your app with these, these features that just make everything more complicated, but almost no one uses or these edge cases, like it's something you really, you really need to think about because you can make a choice today that will just come back to bite you for years to come. 
and kind of running out the end of this approach is that you should always thank them for looking out for you and find out if they have any more questions. Make sure that they understand what the the response is that you've given them and why you have come to the conclusion that you have. And again, it's not saying that they're going to agree with you, but you just want to make sure that they understand why it is that you made that decision. And part of this is just about making sure that they walk away having a good feeling as if, you know, you listened to them and you truly understood what it is that they were asking for and made the decision, hey, that's not right for this business and it's not going to be right for you. And I've heard from people who I've said, hey, like this is not going to happen in any time frame that is close to what you're looking for. You should probably find something else. And then six months, nine months later, I've had them come back and say, okay, we've tried a bunch of other things and those things didn't work. You know, I'd like to come back and revisit this with you because people appreciate you being candid with them and giving it to them straight. Like they don't want to be jerked around. They don't want to be told lies. Uh, you know, they hate when a sales rep will make promises and then suddenly they get in and they've spent all this time and effort trying to integrate their systems in with yours only to find out like you can't deliver or you haven't delivered on exactly what it was that they wanted because you didn't understand and you guys weren't on the same page. So make sure that they, they know what they're walking away from and make sure they understood what you've told them. And I think some, you know, some additional thoughts we can run through is sometimes Taking a request that's fast and simple and something you can build in an hour or two buys a lot of goodwill, right? Even if it's not a current priority for you, but it's something that you know you want to build long-term or that is a good suggestion. Loved doing this in the early days of, well, both Drip, Hittail, there were other wedding toolbox, .net invoice, there were other apps that it was the best to like get this email and say, hey, how come I can't blah, 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 or can I? And you would literally go write the code, ship the code, and then respond back within an hour and be like, hey, yeah, that's available now. We just implemented it for you. It's like, it is the best feeling to be able to do that. And it's something you can do less and less as you scale. But I just love that that idea of uh, you know being able to, again, only if it's something you're going to build. You don't just want to add cruft because it's quick. And I do. that's also a mistake I think early product people make. Another huge thing is that the communication medium that you're using is extremely important because what you say and how you say it is going to be a lot different based on whether it's a chat message or an email or Skype or Zoom call or video call or something along those lines. It's a lot easier to determine if they really agree with you on a voice call than any other medium. So if you are having conversations in that particular communication medium, it's so much easier and so much more effective. The downside is that you don't necessarily have as much time to think. So you have to make sure that if it is not something that you have thought of in the past, that you write it down and take notes and give yourself an opportunity to say, look, I haven't really thought about this. Let me think about it some more and I will get back to you. Because there's a lot of times where just having time to think about it more is going to give you a lot more clarity on whether or not that suggestion is a good fit. But you can always just say, you know, hey, I, I really appreciate you looking out for us. And I, I've written down a bunch of notes. I'm going to think about it and I'll get back to you in three days or five days or what have you with an answer about what it is that we're going to do about this. And that way you can take it offline into an an email instead, but make sure that you follow through on those commitments because if you don't, then that's going to reflect poorly on your business overall. And to come back to an earlier thought, you can't possibly do everything that people request. You can't possibly do everything you want to build. You have to pick and choose. You have to prioritize and you have to say no to a lot of good ideas, right? What separates a decent product person from a great product person is their ability to to choose the right things to build because you no way you can build all the good ideas that everyone has and everything 
not everything, but a lot of things sound like good ideas and they might ultimately be, but it's part of being a founder or being a product person and deciding what is my vision for this, which gets the most bang for the buck, which, you know, will delight the most customers in the deepest way. And that's where you have to kind of take a look in the mirror and just say, we're going in on this. So I hope that was a helpful discussion. And that wraps us up for the day. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupstotherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot, used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.